the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is The Rob Black Show. One of the things that we talk about on a fairly regular basis is housing, real estate, owning a home, owning an apartment, owning a condo. Is it the American dream? Is it still the American dream? Looking at real estate, you can get really, really wealthy by borrowing other people's money. And if you live in your own home, that's lovely because you're paying yourself rent. If someone else lives in your home, maybe they're paying your rent for you or they're paying their rent them but paying your mortgage what do you do when you start seeing real estate goes down with stocks i totally understand some people sat on the sidelines when they see putin invade ukraine they don't see it as oh that's just a day-by-day normal thing they'll say i'm out When they see a woman, eh, let's not go there. When they see something that they don't like, they'll jump in and out of the stock market because it's pretty liquid. But housing's not liquid. That's a weird thought real quick. Liquidity. It's very tough to jump in, very tough to jump out. A lot of fees on both sides. Stock market has become a lot more liquid. As fees have gone down. Existing home sales. What does it tell us? Do we need to know? Should we should we be jumping out of homes right now? And I'll say this. If you put a gun to my head and said, this has to be chosen this way and only this way, now or never. Well, what would I do? I'll probably take the never. If you were going to put a gun to my head and say, hypothetically, is now a good time to get out of real estate, I'd probably say, yeah, 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 yeah. Housing correction is dead ahead. So says Moody's chief economist, Mark Zandi. I own a home. I own two homes. I own three homes. I own an office rental. Like, I can start adding this up, ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. Should I be all in, all out? Existing home sales showed a 5.4% decline in June. So volume, 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 sales, sales, sales is volume, volume, volume. Do you remember the old joke on uh, real estate? It's location, location, location. In figuring out a sales price, it's volume, volume, volume. Median sale price of existing homes hit a record in the United States 
$416,000 in June. It was a 13.4% increase from last year. Yet, and yet, you're starting to hear some economists come out and go, uh, real estate correction is dead ahead. Real estate correction is dead ahead. With what the Federal Reserve has tried to do in 2022, if I were to sum it up, it's kill inflation. And there's many types of inflation. There's oil slash energy inflation. I kind of feel like that, that's kind of been killed a little bit this summer. Remember when we were doing $7 ga- gallon of gasoline stories? And then 45 days later, after basically 45 straight days of gasoline prices dropping, one penny here, one penny there, one penny here, one penny there. We're no longer doing the gasoline stories. The Fed's coming after home appreciation. And Mark Sandy said a correction could be dead ahead. This time it's going to be different than last time. In 2006, 2008, when the last time housing had a massive correction, it was tied towards we gave too many loans to too many people. We said, if you're poor, you get a million dollar loan. If you're middle class, you get a million dollar loan. If you're upper middle class, you get a $2 million loan. If you're wealthy, you get a $3 million loan. This time it's a little different. Last time in 2006, 2008, we gave too many loans to too many people who didn't deserve it, who didn't have the income to go the distance in a good case scenario and a bad case scenario. Now the housing correction that is dead ahead is likely caused by spiking mortgage rates. I'm turned off by a 6% mortgage rate. I'm turned on by a 2 to 4% mortgage rate. And it's been that kind of move. Mortgage payments can be several thousand dollars higher when you jump from a mortgage rate of 2 to 3% all the way up to 5 to 6%. If we stay around 6%, I think the mortgage rate will affect housing. If we stay around 5%, I think we could be in a more neutral market. If the mortgage rate were to drop to a very concerning 4% level, I think we can skyrocket higher. I'm showing you some of my scenarios. And again, that's a little bit rudimentary. But spiking mortgage rates play a game, play a factor. As does the first time home buyers being locked out. In 2006, 2008, we had politicians asking mortgage lenders, uh, we need to like make the American dream for everyone. It can't just be the wealthy. We need to give loans to people who deserve it and people who don't deserve it. We need you to lower your standards. So the housing industry did. And that's one of the factors that played into the last housing recession. Now we're in a different environment where we're not necessarily speculating as much. The loans are actually more airtight. And yet the high cost of homes and the high cost of the mortgage now is keeping homeowners, first-time homeowners, locked out. And that's going to cause a bit of a problem 
because it's not a healthy environment. But it's not as toxic as giving people loans that don't deserve loans. I think institutional investment in housing is here to stay. There's two companies that have highlighted that you can play the housing market by buying Blackstone or Brookfield. They're buying up homes to rent them out at high rates. Something that I think is likely here to stay, even with higher mortgage rates. I think inflation in 2023 is going to reset higher. Because we're going to say 2022 is high. Man, it went up 8, 9, 10% sometimes in various things. And what we're going to say is that gasoline prices probably won't go to 250. They won't go back down to 275. They may go back down to 325 to 350 on a national average. But the, the new low will be higher than the old low. And I think that too plays into housing. Not necessarily lock, stock, and barrel, but it's going to play into housing. Different real estate correction than the last one. I think that's normal. I think it's okay. I think it's, it's, it's understandable to be fearful. I told my spouse yesterday, I did a quick story in the headline news about how cities like San Jose are seeing the biggest drops in asking prices. And she goes, does that mean now is a good time to buy housing? I'm like, well, our home's down 5%. Do you remember how it went up 100%? How do you feel that we're a little bit less wealthy? It's something to think about. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Need a referral to financial planner? Find me at robblackshow.com. I did put up a, a highlight of me and Adam talking market updates at robblackshow.com. I put that up yesterday. Check it out today. An education-first approach to managing your money. This is the Rob Black Show. So every now and then I bring up a concept that I want to revisit again and sometimes again and sometimes again. Success or failure starts at the top. I don't think the San Francisco 49ers are going to win a Super Bowl anytime soon because of the top. I don't like where this is going. Management means a lot. The Golden State Warriors, they're coy, their management, their ownership. It's like, oh, a luxury tax. We don't really like the luxury tax, but we're going to pay it because uh, we have to, but we're, we're, it's not very nice. Or as Jed York and the San Francisco 49ers are kind of like, yeah, I, I, I see what you're doing, Los Angeles Rams. Okay, you can do that. The Rams management wants to win now. The 49ers management wants to make money. There's a big difference in what's going to show up on the field. Success or failure starts at the top. I would say if you look at the New York Yankees roster and their aggressive moves at the trade deadline, most of it made sense. And you need to go, okay, they're trying to succeed now. Success or failure starts at the top in baseball, in football, in basketball. Are you willing to spend to win? That may be the franchise mathematical algorithm for success, but it's not necessarily the success formula on Wall Street. There's a guy named Michael Saylor. He's the chairman of MicroStrategy. 
And he is one of three or four people that you'll see in the news headlines on a regular basis talking about how great Bitcoin is and how Bitcoin's going to change the world and how Bitcoin's going to go to $500,000 per coin. Now, he's the CEO or the chairman of MicroStrategy, a software company, who no one knows who buys their software. No one knows what their software does, but everyone knows Michael Saylor talks about Bitcoin to the point that he invested the company's cash in Bitcoin. On the way up, he looks like a genius. On the way down, oops, he just got fired. Now, a couple more thoughts on this. I've known Michael Saylor since 2000 where his company was playing into the whole Y2K. Computers are going to fail. Computers are going to blow up when the calendar turns from December 31st, 1999 to January 1st, 2000. Suddenly people are going to become 199 years old and the computers won't know what to do and computers are going to kill the world. That hit Wall Street for like two, three weeks. Maybe back then it was two or three months. Maybe my time has been condensed. He hosted Super Bowl parties. He was a big hit back in the 2000s, Michael Saylor and Michael's MicroStrategy. People loved him. Until the SEC said, no, some of the things you're saying is illegal. Some of the things you're doing inside your business model is illegal. And we're going to fine you and we're going to penalize you. So MicroStrategy chairman was accused of fraud by the SEC in 2000. Anyone who's listening to him today got what they deserved because they didn't do a little bit of homework on success or failure starts at the top. Very, very rarely. And you can take a look at the Washington Commanders, the old team formerly known as the Washington Redskins, Daniel Snyder. He's considered the worst owner in the NFL. And the Redskins aren't going to, they're going to even sniff the playoffs until he's gone. If I could put a bet on Vegas, will the Redskins ever or the Commanders ever win a Super Bowl while Daniel Snyder's the honor? I'll say nope. I'd go 100 to 1. I'd go 1 at 100. I don't care. Give me whatever odds you want to give me. Success or failure starts at the top. Michael Saylor stepping down from MicroStrategy now that his second massive failure has hit the shareholders. Once tied towards fraud on economic statements, now tied towards Bitcoin. And if you turn on Fox Business, CNBC, or Bloomberg, you saw Michael Saylor in the last two or three years. And I was like, why is that name familiar? Why is that name familiar? Why is that name familiar? And about six months ago, I, re I remembered, and I talked about it on air. I said, this guy's a fraud. He was accused of fraud back in 2000. There was litigation that I had to read as part of my job. He lived in an all-expenses-paid world that he wasn't paying the expenses on. I throw that down there just to remind you, success or failure starts at the top. Something a company comes out with when they're publicly traded is their management team in an annual letter Sometimes it's known as uh, 
quarterly reports where you get these cute little updates from the company. Most of them are online now. But back in the day, we would receive them in the mail. And then you get an annual report that would be gussied up and prettied up. And you take a look at the management team um, and see what ad campaigns they worked on in the past or what semiconductors they were involved in. What uh, scientists did they pull a team together to try to cure cancer? Did they cure cancer? Did they not cure cancer? You can take a look at the management team in an annual report. And Google, yeah, tell some lies. But Google doesn't tell all lies. Just punching in his name would have gone, ooh, there's a lot of bad publicity on this guy, Michael Saylor. There's a lot of bad publicity on Daniel Snyder. So Daniel Snyder runs the Washington Commanders, and there's some publicity that he asked cheerleaders to be like, eh, maybe be a little extra sexy around uh, sponsors. Uh, what? Wait, wait, what are you asking me to do? Said cheerleaders. It's a little bit of a fraternity, his past, his history. I wanted to invest in it. Is it the lambda, lambda, lambda? Is the alphabetic highs? I don't know. But his past tells me red flag, red flag, red flag. So take a look at management. Would, is it fair to say that Tim Cook, if he were to leave Apple and go start a TV company, would you go, he's been successful. I might follow him. You might. Do you see where I'm going at with this? Uh, Elon Musk, he's been wildly successful with ideas, turning them, in, them into business developments. Tesla has jumped the shark and really turned into a massive crazy investment. But he also, uh, Elon Musk was part of PayPal. He was part of PayPal. What's next? Will his boring company ever jump the chart? Again, successful failure starts at the top. What do you like? What do you not like? What do you believe in? What do you not believe in? You should do a little bit of investigation in the companies you invest in. Just a little. It is your money, right? And you worked hard for it, right? Find me online at robblackshow.com. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. Vin Scully, Los Angeles Dodgers broadcaster, dies at the age of 94. Do I have anything important to say about that? Probably not. He had a great career. Good for him. He talked for a career. Good, great for him. That opened doors for people like me. We like hearing other people talk. I think the only thing I can get for you is that he was 94 and we all die. I don't know his Hall of Fame career. He died in his Los Angeles home last night, age 94. That seems like a great life. He worked for 67 years, something you and I probably won't have the opportunity of doing. In theory, we work from age 20-ish to 60-ish. He worked for 67 years as the voice of the Dodgers. Clearly iconic and clearly lost on me. So I'll let you... Confer with the people that you need to confer to to make sense of this. But uh, that's a long career. and you Don't count on that. It's part of the, the goals of the show is, is how to get you to retirement so that you can die in your home. And people can write about you and your death about how great of a human being you are. Yesterday, the NASDAQ, the SP, the Dow Jones Industrial Average were all lower. 
10-year treasury sits at 2.75%. I bring that up not because I want to do a 20,000 and 21-year story. With 10-year treasuries, it's going back lower as if it were 2021 or 2020 or 2019. It's showing stress and fear about a recession. Here's something that I said 25 years ago when I made my debut on radio. When the 10-year treasury is under 3.5%, I buy stocks. Actually, I probably said 35 to 4%. And now I say when the 10-year treasury is under 3.5%, I buy stocks. When it's at 3.5%, I'll let you know. I can tell you when it was at three and a quarter, I bought some cash. I moved my money from a savings account getting zero to a savings account getting 1.75%. So the 10-year treasury kind of tells me where kind of like the, the, the it's kind of like the seismic reader of the economy or the Geiger counter. And it's, it's, it's sounding really loud, like trouble, 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 trouble at two and a half percent, where at three and a half percent, the economy is like, no, eh, it's okay. It's okay. Bitcoin is $23,000. Stocks dipped yesterday for a second day in a row, given the, the general uneasiness surrounding Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. It almost sounds like a bad Broadway show. Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. Um, no one died. Nothing got blown up. So today's a new day. But yesterday, we also had to deal with Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. But we also had to deal with the Uber stock and how it is going to be a big winner or loser based on the results and what they showed us. And ultimately... Positive cash flow, like hey, we we can we can ride that one. Okay, that's so good. The number of drivers on Uber's platform hit an all-time record high. I don't think that's all that important. I want to see things like subscriptions from Uber. Uh, voters in Kansas rejected a proposed amendment that would remove abortion rights protections from the state's constitution. That tells me voters are on a different page than the public maybe prospectus that we're expecting for the fall. It's going to be in a contentious election season. Um, I don't know what that means to you, but I can tell you in the world of investments, it equals ladies and gentlemen, please put on your seatbelts. Robin hood cuts 23% of Robin hoodies less than a hundred days after laying off 9% of its employees. Robin hood announced yesterday that it would slash another 23% in a second round of layoffs. This is great news because Robin hood is the weapon of mass destruction on speculation for young people. I know you're saying that's a, that's a mouthful. And did you just pick that up? I did. Robin hoodies. Um, they're trying to cut the costs at the company Robin Hood, CEO Vlad Tenov, who I met, which is actually kind of a really funny story. I met him in San Diego at a very early pre- investor presentation on this is what our company does, and this is our background, and we're grad students at this university. He was given the sales deck pitch, and I was like, that's going to be pretty big. Free trades, but you need people on margin accounts, and that's where the, the trick is. How are they going to really make money? I see the democratization. Oh, I do. But also, how are you going to make money? And well, let's just say they've now announced more and more job cuts. 
telling us that there's a different vibe in speculation. That's an interesting one. The Senate passed a veterans health bill by an overwhelming vote of 86 to 11. The Senate approved legislation yesterday that expands health care benefits for war veterans who may have been exposed to toxic burning trash pits on U.S. military bases. Um, I've heard a great story that I can recast for you so that you understand where this is coming from. But when we are in the deserts of Afghanistan on a military base and you've got 2,000 American men and women soldiers peeing and pooping, they put it in a pit. And then they put fuel on top of it and they light a match and they burn feces. That fuel is now starting to cause problems in people's lungs. And it's turned into a very vocal advocate, John Stewart, protesting outside the Capitol, raise awareness that we need to treat our veterans better than we do with better health care. And health care costs money, so everyone's going to get into a tizzy over, is it good by my state? Is it not good by my state? Is it good by my, my voters? Is it not good by my voters? Is it good by my electorate? Is it, so we get into that craziness. But that got passed. That's, that's nice to hear. Americans are racking up credit card bills. This is my story of the day. Credit card balances grew 13% year over year, the largest jump since 2002. This is not a good sign. If you think I'm a Pollyanna who thinks the stock market always goes up, I do not. And I think this is a leading, this is a bell coming through the town. The town crier goes, the disease is coming. The disease is coming. And no one asking what disease. This is credit card balances shooting up. Inflation's outpacing wage inflation, cost of living inflation. Rising prices are hitting consumers. It's the fastest pace in four decades. If not now, maybe next month, the credit card shooting up is going to become a problem. You're going to see more charge-offs and write-offs. Will it destroy our economy? Nope. Banks take mitigated risks with lending money on credit. Credit card balances shot up. 46 billion over the previous quarter. We now sit at $890 billion. We opened up 233 million new credit card accounts in the second quarter. And again, first quarter, January, February, March, second quarter, April, May, June. So in the second quarter, we shot up 46 billion and we opened up 223, 233 million new credit card accounts. There's a percentage that's going to fail, but the volume, volume, volume means it's going to be a big headline. Delinquency, delinquency rates saw a slight uptick last month, and that's going to create a little bit of a hiccup down the road. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening. Need help? Let me know. Find me at Rob Black Show. The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com. Quick shout out to what we just heard was a sponsor message bringing us into break. The show is brought to you by Provident Credit Union. I'm a big fan of credit unions. Um, I'm a big fan of banks. They offer slightly similar but slightly different products. And um, big fan of credit unions. I think they're... um, pretty good for the average person. My father was a member of the military, so he got to be part of Pentagon Federal Credit Union. And I got a car loan when I was in college from PFCU. It sticks with your head, does it not? Let's bring on Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Briefing.com. Patrick, I had a question in my head. Like, do you ever write an article 
that like one hour later, you're like, ah, that page one, I should have done it differently. And that's how fast things change on Wall Street. Do you ever have any regret with publications of your thoughts on where the market's going on a day-by-day basis? <laughs> well, uh, Rob, good morning. And, good morning. Um, yeah, I've been writing market, <laughs> been writing market commentary for, for 25 plus years. And yep. I suppose if I didn't have any regrets, I, I'd be lying. So um, it is, yeah, you know, the market is just a, can be, unruly at times and just uh, make you look foolish at other times. And there's no doubt that I've had such regrets, but we try to assimilate as much information as possible in a really short period of time to present a snapshot of where the market is, particularly in the case of when I write page one, which is a pre-market comment. Um, It generally lends itself toward pretty much describing how the market's going to open uh, with then some thoughts on, you know, what, could possibly disrupt that move as the day progresses or, you know, what might actually help uh, further it. And, so, uh, you know, it seems like in the last couple of years anyway, uh, the volatility has really ramped up to, and it makes that task all the more difficult day in and day out. I do a, a radio show that's a podcast. And one of the things I have to write is like something on the market every single day and like, by the end of the day, I often times have regret where I'm like, markets are focused on inflation. By the end of the day, they're focused on something totally different. I bring that up just to, uh, again, give a shout out to you and how great you do and what a great job you do. And it's there's backseat drivers around the world taking a look at what you and I do on a regular basis and saying like, ah, I would have done it differently. But anyhow, let's move forward. Um, <laughs> stocks kind of had a great month of July and I kind of wish we renamed August, July too. Or we Biden could have come up with something creative to keep the love going. Uh, what's August given us that July didn't? Well, August is giving us uh, a little bit of consolidation because of how okay. huge the move was in July, right? I don't think there's anything atypical about what we've seen in the early portion of this month. Uh, you usually get a little bit of a you know, selling effort, uh, hot on the heels of what, you know, by all accounts was a really just a great move for the market in the month of July. Um, but we're also, uh, we have a market that's trying to uh, reconcile whether uh, the bad economic news that keeps coming in for the most part uh, and was, was fully accounted for in the sell-off in the first half of the year, you know, and trying to also to account for whether, earnings estimates have been uh, adequately cut to account for the sell-off we saw in the first half of the year. And then you sprinkle in there, uh, it's kind of deliberation over what the Fed is going to do uh, in the second half of the year here and even into the first half of 2023. Uh, And there's opposing viewpoints there. And, uh, of course, most prominently of late, we've had uh, several Fed officials you know, run opposition to uh, what fueled the market rally in the last week of July, which was the notion that the Fed was likely to, you know, raise rates a few more times this year and then quickly pivot to a rate cut cycle in the first half of 2023. And uh, as I mentioned, several Fed officials are attempting to pour cold water on that uh, thought process. So yesterday, you and I probably had to deal with the Nancy Pelosi going to Taiwan issue on Wall Street. And by the end of the day, it was no big deal. That's kind of what I'm getting at is like the opposite effect is like the speakers landed. There wasn't World War Three yet or didn't start. And 
maybe it's a better day today than it was yesterday because of nothing happened. It's a weird business we're in at times, is it not? <laughs> it is because, you know, as we were writing yesterday, uh, you know, the market had a little bit of a little bit of a bounce. I'm not going to call it a rally, but a little bit okay. of a bounce when uh, TV images showed her touching down and walking off the plane and being greeted by Taiwanese officials. And, and then the, the news wires didn't pick up anything of, of really any material consequence in terms of a retaliatory response from China. Right. And then, of course, by the end of the day, we had the market lower because interest rates had moved up so quickly. And we think that really kind of overshadowed what was happening in Taiwan. And then lo and behold, you come in this morning, the futures market is up. And then everyone's writing about how the market is relieved that there was no, you know, uh, consequential action on the part of China. <laughs> so we're kind of like recycling the same news or the same rationale for why the market moved uh, on either day. But um, it does make it, you know, challenging in, in that respect. But, um, but I, I suppose, sure, the market can kind of work itself up, you know, just builds this wall of worry ahead of an event. And then when it, um, you know, when, when the worst case outcome does not come to fruition, it just, it climbs up and over that wall of worry and, and gets going again. But, you know, I think one of the things the market is really kind of running into, though, uh, is going to have to contend with is just, it, you know, it's the fact that the treasury market is now accounting for, you know, the Fed staying higher for longer uh, with respect to its interest rates. And while the stock market seems to be hanging in there for the time being, um, that's going to continue to be a headwind here as in this as this recovery effort tries to take shape. We're in earnings season. Do you want to talk about earnings season or do you want to talk about the 10-year treasury? Because I, I think both of them are, are very fascinating to me at this point in time. Right. Well, um, you know, I can talk about both. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, you know, earnings season is, you know, by most accounts been, been better than feared, but it, it hasn't been uh, as good as past earnings seasons. In other words, the, uh, the rate of positive surprises has lessened. Um, and, um, and you are getting uh, cuts to earnings estimates as these numbers come out because the guidance hasn't been necessarily all that great either. Uh, but, but the cuts thus far have still been pretty modest, you know, in nature. I mean, we're still looking for positive earnings growth this year. There is no earnings recession priced into analysts' uh, earnings estimates, right? And that has been, uh, you know, admittedly a, a an element of support here for the stock market. You know, investors want to, you know, continue to believe that, uh, you know, that corporate America is going to manage its way through here as the Fed, you know, raises rates and inflation, you know, starts to uh, temper a bit. Uh, we think the jury's still out on that, um, and especially as you know what we've seen in terms of the inverted yield curve. Um, you know, the two ten spread is, has has widened, and you know that's viewed as a harbinger of economic weakness, if not an actual recession. And um, and you know I think that that is being driven in part by the arrival of this week economic data that hits at the same time the Fed is still talking about raising rates. And so right. you have a, a treasury market that's fearful about the Fed jacking up rates to, to a, such an extent that it's really going to crimp economic activity, if not kill it altogether and drive us into recession. And so uh, there's, you know, debatable points on either side of that as well. So both markets kind of trying to figure out the next move and having some admitted confusion there. But, um, but the treasury market definitely is uh, is indicating more of an economic slowdown than what the stock market has been of late. 
it's fascinating because you can pin this so much better than I can. And with 25 years, doing it five days a week, I give you all that credit and much, much more. But this morning on your page, when you wrote St. Louis Fed President Bullard's belief that the target range should the Fed funds should be 3.75 to 4%. I'm like, that seems like a long way off. And then I'm like, let's see how he finishes this sentence. Um, are we going to be able to fight off a recession or not? And it's just the day by day on this is it's such a grind and you stay on top of it. Good for you. Any last things that we need to hit? We got about two minutes left in the segment. Uh, well, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, Fed policy here. We have been for, well, for decades, <laughs> I guess you could say, but it always comes back to the Fed. more so. Yeah. More so of late, but you know, the uh, employment report on Friday, I think will be a real, uh, important piece of information that either uh, really just blows away the idea that the Fed's going to, you know, move quickly to a pivot or or maybe help substantiate it. And I'm, what I'm driving at is that if we get a really, you know, a strong employment report, then the idea that the, that there will be a quick pivot should get blown out of the water because, uh, you know, the focal point there is just that Fed Chair Powell himself has you know, said at his press conference that the labor market is, yeah, is a little softening there, but it's still quite tight. And that was the strong basis for his rationale that the U.S. economy is not in a recession. And uh, and if we get a strong employment number there, then, you know, I think the market's going to have to come back around to believe that, uh, you know, what maybe Fed President Bullard is saying is going to be closer to reality than what the market was believing uh, at the end of July. Uh, and that we're going to have to see a much higher target range for the Fed funds rate than it's currently priced in the market. And if so, then we'll probably see you have to see some backup in stock prices to account for that. So a really important report here at the end of the week. So keep an eye out for that. Question for you. And we got it under a minute. I see that Match.com is down 20%, according to your column this morning. Airbnb is down 6%. Has enough speculation been taken out of the stock market to make the Fed happy? And we got about 30 seconds to be tight. Uh, no, uh, no. to be blunt. Well know, said. I think that, uh, yeah, we see a move like we saw in, what was it, AMTD Digital yesterday, symbol HKD, which had an absolutely ridiculous move. You know, stuff like that still happening. And uh, no, I don't think there's been enough speculation wrung out of the market just yet. Good for you. I love the content. I love the insights. Um, Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Not my best interview, but I kind of wanted to go off the rail a little bit and ask about how daily news affects his his thought process. Because Warren Buffett's eternally an optimist. I think it helps to be an internal optimist. I think Patrick O'Hare does a great job at briefing.com, a reliable source of domestic and international news that you can use when it comes to businesses and investing. I'm Rob Black. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.